today we are going to be talking about the fifth chapter in our visible learning book, Deep Mathematics, Learning Made Visible. So we've talked about surface learning. Now we're going to dive into deep learning and what that means and what that means in your classroom practices. A lot of this will be about getting kids to talk, describe, explain, verbalize their understanding of mathematics, because that's how we're really mm -hmm. going to get into deep learning. So we've got some great slides for you. Hopefully you have them open as we're listening to this podcast. If not, we will highlight some slides we want you to, to look at later. And we look forward to seeing your really interesting discussion points and responses on the Padlet. So Emily, let's start maybe by talking about what deep learning is and how that fits into the author's understanding of learning. Mm -hmm. um, so I love the statement they said is deep learning focuses on recognizing relationships among ideas. Um, and yes. so it's just different ways of conceiving of something, of discussing it, of engaging with it. And it, as much as possible, uh, at least definitely what is promoted in the book, is letting your students come to it as, on their own. You are the guardrails on their, like, path down this road. You are mm -hmm. not uh, in, the, you know, you're not even necessarily the one driving. Like, they're in the driver's seat, and you're, you're there to provide them space to go. Um, and if I may jump in here, Emily, if I may, I'm so sorry, but I think it's really a key for our learners. Something you said just really struck me that depending on your training, listeners, this could be very unnerving to be just on the sidelines and allowing mm -hmm. the students to really take ownership of their own learning. Before we started this podcast, Emily and I were just chatting, reviewing the chapter. Emily was trained in a Montessori method. I was trained in a more traditional method literally on the campus of the McGuffey Reader, if any of our listeners know <laughs> the McGuffey Reader. The house is still there. It's a museum. Uh, in the point of pride uh, from where I'm from. And so that is very teacher-directed. And it is, for some of us, unnerving to, like, let go and let learn, so to speak. Like, that mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. hard. What do you think, Emily? I mean, I think that's why I appreciate and I think it's on slide three that they, they bring in the common core for um, the math goals of common core. Number seven is look for and make use of structure. And then number eight is look for and express regularity and repeated reasoning, which, you know, are in there. But it's, I think that is setting it up is a way to set up for teachers that especially that look for and express regularity and repeated reasoning. It's not just the exchange of ideas, but also includes ways of representing, thinking, talking, agreeing, disagreeing. It's got to be active. It's not mm -hmm. like a call and response. It's not, you know, the teacher doing something that the student responds. The student, as Emily said before, has got to take the leadership here. And that is not always easy, but there's some great videos in Chapter 5 to help us yes. think through this. Um, and again, there's so many concrete, relatable examples. Um, Mrs. Wolf's lessons of volume that they talk about. Mm -hmm. um, well, and to that point on slide five, we talk about the teacher talk versus student talk. Um, and that effective classroom discussions, and that is the students talking amongst each other. We mention this almost every podcast, but according to the authors, Hattie Fisher and Fry, according to their analyses, the effect size of 0.4 is one year of learning. 
and that's why anything they gave us was over an effect size of 0.4. So an effect size of 0.82 is effectively over two years of learning. So that is a very powerful tool uh, as long as you're, as the students are having intentionally academic classroom discussions. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just getting them to chitty chat. It's getting them to talk about the subject, the subject and the material. But when they're engaged with it, their learning is taking off. Yes. Yes. And in the chapter four podcast, we talked about uh, potentially recording oneself to see how the instruction is going. I can mm-hmm. almost imagine, you know, with permission and everyone aware and just for your own purposes, you could record yourself on your phone or your computer and then just even for just a snippet of time, let's say 20 minutes, then you can go back and actually see how long am I actually talking for how many minutes am I the teacher actually explaining things, calling on students, posing questions, responding to questions, how much of it is me and how much of it the kids? Because I know from my own experience uh, when I was teaching elementary school, I can look back on things now and at the time, because on my lesson plans that I designed for myself, I had a little reflection section. I would write down my initial thoughts immediately after class ended so that I would remember. At the time, I thought, oh, this is a great lesson. But now as I look back on it, I was doing most of the talking. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was from my own training. And I wonder if our listeners would have a similar experience that they could have fantastic lessons. The kids are active. Everyone's on task. There's no misbehavior. There's no distractions everyone's doing their stuff but the students aren't talking Mm -hmm. and so you're not going to get that effect size of 0.82 so that's you know that could be something to think about could you record yourself for just like 20 minutes and then go back and listen how many of those minutes is it actually you Mm -hmm. well and I think to that there's uh, a point on page 148 where they say you know class discussion it is it is not something that happens organically it is something, again, those guardrails, I, I mean it when I say that, like that is really the job of the teacher. There needs to be norms of class discussions. And yes. um, unless you're, you know, formally teaching your students that and then reinforcing them, it, it is easy for those discussions to not be the robust tool for learning, which is right. why I really like a lot of the, what do we say, the figures in here, I thought were really good about just different ways of conceiving, which is figure on page one point, and then mm-hmm. sort of talking. They have, you know, something about countable talk. I, I really love the sample language frame, which is figure 5.7. And that's on page um, 147, listeners. Yes. And then, well, before we move on, I'm sorry, but if you were yeah. to photocopy this, laminate, laminate it, and then give these mm-hmm. things out to your students, what a gift that would be because they may not know how to articulate, but if they had this in front of them, that mm-hmm. would help guide them until it becomes more natural. And if you've mm-hmm. got English language learners, if you have students who learn differently, why not give them this support uh, so they, they mm-hmm. can participate actively in the way that you intend for them to participate? Uh, they yes. may not know how to describe their activities in math, and this mm-hmm. would really guide. And frankly, you know, we talked um, last podcast. I mentioned Mary Math, where I took forever to get to the point. <laughs> kind of like right now, I, I, I grant you, <laughs> listeners. But I would have really, I, you know, with a, a frame like I started with, we use this, then I did. That would help me mm-hmm. because that would force me to to review them in my own mind and if it makes sense. It's a great, it works on so many levels is my point. No, I, I agree. And that um, it's on slide eight for us. And is, as Mary said, page 147, figure 5.7 in the book. On 
you can get a PDF of the language frame and print it out, or even if you don't want to be using that paper, email to your students. I think I couldn't agree more that it would literally be a gift for your students. Their website, they mentioned the website in the book to really, to use it mm -hmm. to, to, frame, to frame their thinking. Yes, yes, it would be so helpful. And so mm -hmm. the last thing we could talk about before we wrap up today, and of course we mentioned the great resources and the videos throughout this chapter, which is making this part of your classroom culture part of your just everyday practice so that students come to expect it. And Emily, the one thing that I noticed wasn't in the book that really could be, though it's a little bit beyond their purview, I suppose, is having mm -hmm. teachers explain to parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, whoever's with the child at home, that they could do this at home too. That talking about math and math activities helps the students just practice going through so it feels more natural. Uh, mm -hmm. So that just talking about numbers, we've trained parents culturally in the United States, I'd say, to read everything. Read those signs out loud to your babies. Make them identify letters. Okay. But we mm -hmm. could do the same thing with numbers, couldn't we? Mm -hmm. and yeah, I, I mean, I, I would argue for my children, they probably <laughs> they probably do experience it more with numbers than, than with, with reading, just because they enjoy that and I enjoy it. And it is, it is so easy to, to do. It is. And if we know in from research that many Americans and many, frankly, teachers, friends, feel that they are just, I'm no good at math. You know, they have that math phobia or bad um, thoughts about their own mm -hmm. math abilities. How mm -hmm. great would it be to model, even if you don't feel comfortable with math, but to model that type of mathematical talk with the students in your lives? Well, and I think to that point, you know, they, they talk about discourse, they emphasize the value in it, but also getting parents more confident in what they call revoicing on page 146 yes. where the teacher is restating a student concept or you know embedding that you know the more you can get those at home with the kids to to work on that i believe in revoicing as a communication tool in all means of communicating yes. not just mathematics but I, I think, you know, can you help me clarify your thinking? Can you help me understand is huge. And yeah, and that's a life skill, really. Yes, yes. And when you can get students to also do it for each other, they call it restating when it's students and revoicing when it's adults to students, is, it's huge. And it's, it really is, it ties math in, not just with ELA, but with SEL. Because right. communication is valuable in every aspect of our lives. So very true. And on that important note, we will wrap up, mm -hmm. listeners. The next time we talk, we will be talking about the next aspect of this. So we've done surface, deep. Now we're going to talk about transfer in Chapter 6. So mm -hmm. ready for that, friends? We'll have slides for you, as always. Uh, we'll have some great questions to provoke your thinking through the survey. And, of course, an always robust, lively conversation on Padlet. We look forward to connecting with you in those venues and in listening to us for the next podcast. Thank you so much, Emily, for your time Thanks and so thoughts. Much.